Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. So today I want to pick up on somewhere that we've been at the start of the year where we did a series called Pre-Decide, and uh, my last uh, message in it was um, Finishing Strong, and there was one component that I didn't finish, so I'm not living out the message of Finishing Strong until we speak about the topic of generosity, and so I want to wrap that up, and even as we do, I trust there's some reminders of what we are looking at as we kicked off the year as we spoke about pre-deciding. We want to make some pre-decisions where we partner with God's principles, with His promises, with His power, so that we can live intentionally to see His kingdom come and His glory displayed through our lives. And so, I trust you've been going well through the year, and if you need a reminder, just the one or two of those, we'll look at it this morning. But let me pray. Father, I thank you that as uh, we're here, we've pre-decided with intentionality that we want to be here this morning, whether online or in person. Because, Lord, we know that we just come alive in your presence. We are encouraged in your word. We find vision and direction for your purpose for our lives as we allow you to minister to us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak. I pray that you provoke. I pray that you encourage. I pray that you fortify. I pray that you release people into purpose. We thank you that you come and you just have your way. I pray for healing. I pray for deliverance. I pray for liberty physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, in every area that you just come and be who you are in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I want to pick up on this. And I was actually reading an article on this topic, and it was from 2007. Now, that might not seem too long ago when you think, oh, 2007 was around the corner. But this is before Instagram was out and about. This is before Netflix original movies were there. This is before you were using um, Apple Pay and those sort of things. And when I say that, you might be thinking, how did we even survive those times? And in this article, it was just speaking about what we get exposed to every single day. And in that time, 2007, we were exposed to on a daily uh, basis 5,000 adverts every day. 5,000 adverts just coming at us in different shapes, forms, and means um, as we went about the day. But if you fast forward to today, as we jump into the here and now, that number's actually double because with the advent of social media and all that goes with it in terms of bloggers and influencers, we are being um, harassed, if I can call it that, by adverts every, uh, every day of 10,000 adverts. And you might know what that's like. I mean, I had a conversation with Leanne recently about a pair of shoes that I wanted. She said, no, I'm a man under authority. But Facebook didn't listen. And it knew the exact shoe to keep popping up on my feed and showing me the price, the discount, the store, the ease of ordering online delivered straight to me. I haven't succumbed. But on a daily basis, we are bombarded with about 10,000 adver advertisements. And the reason that is not great news is you might think, hey, that makes things easier, convenient, accessible, but surveys show that the more ads we see, the more miserable we are. The more advertisements that come at us telling us how to live a great life, the more miserable we are. Because every 
waking moment, we're reminded of how we should be happy, and maybe you're not happy, and to get happy, you need to start to get more, acquire more, accumulate more, otherwise you're never going to be happy. You need that new iPhone. You need those Nike Air Force Ones. You need that Scotty Cameron putter. You need that Mont Blanc pen. You need those Jimmy Choo shoes, because every ladies needs some Choo's shoes, I'm sure. And uh, if you've got teenagers, the, the Nike Air Force Ones are, are, are cool, but the new Air Jordans and the Dunks are just uh, hitting the demand list for what we should be having. And so culture is just screaming at us. It's got this pervasive message, and it says that to be blessed, we need to get. To be blessed, we need to acquire. To be blessed, we need to accumulate. And culture, there's this cacophony of chaotic um, noise that just comes at us all day long, 10,000 times a day. But over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came, and he forewarned us and forearmed us, and he gave us a principle that has power backing us, that can propel us in purpose, and he said this to us. It cuts across the noise of the day. It silences it. If you will hear beyond and let it ring true. And he says, it is more blessed to do what? It is more blessed to give than to receive. And if you look at that word in the Greek, when it speaks about blessed to give, when it's more blessed, it's saying that there is a happiness in it. There is a fulfillment in it. There is a, a joy in it that is not based in the thing that you're getting. It's based in the deepest, truest part of who you are as it's outworking. The joy comes, the life comes, the happiness comes, not in the getting, acquiring, accumulating. It is the releasing and seeing what God is doing in you and through you. And there's something of a fulfillment that comes in that moment. I was speaking to someone just this week who has just seen huge um, breakthrough in terms of resource. And, and, and some, everyone's been saying, you know, are oh, you not so happy? And he's saying, well, um, not, not really. You know, it's like I was before. And the reason being is this. You don't find purpose in the resource the resource is able to fuel you and propel you in your purpose. You need to discover what God's doing in and for you that goes way beyond you holding something. It's, it's you establishing something of legacy and blessing for family and for uh, communities and for generations. And there's something, there's a bigger picture here. And I love that I can share this with us as Harvest because I know that we love to be generous. We don't just love to give. We give. We're a giving church. We love to be generous. Um, uh, you don't know this, but you're doing this. We were able to send a pastor and his wife who on sabbatical just to go on a, a time out in the mountains. Um, you might think, George, how much is that costing us as a church? Well, the beauty is it's a couple in the church that have this spot and made it available, and we were able to send, and then we did throw in some money for meals. But we, we, are, we love to be generous. And this community is, is brilliant at that. So I'm speaking to us in a place of strength, but I am encouraging us. There's so much more. There's so much more. And I know that we love to give, but the challenges, and maybe you here, I find myself here, that even in the midst of the more and the generosity, we find ourselves feeling like, well, you know, I just can't do it now. I just can't give now. I just can't be generous in this moment. I'd love to give more, but I don't feel I can. And so today I want to talk about how we become irrationally generous, where we can't rationalize it, it doesn't seem logical, it doesn't make sense, because it's something of a divine design that's upside down, right side round, and it's pushing us beyond what this world would offer and what culture demands of us. What does that look like? And the title is this, it's when we stop holding back. 
You see, we, I love, there's a, and I can't remember um, which commentary, but it describes God, and it, it says that He is not withholding, but that He unfurls, and it's almost like someone who is carrying a bounty um, in their robe and unfurls it, and all the bounty, all the um, riches, all the resource just pours out. There's no withholding, there's only giving, and that's who we serve, and we get to engage with it. What does it look like in our lives when we stop holding back? And we, we finishing the series that started at the beginning of the year. That's been a, a long series, but it was called Predecide, because these things aren't just uh, going to take place by happenstance. These things take place when we're intentional and we make some decisions. You're thinking, George, did you just use the word happenstance? Yes, or was the first one that came to me? But okay, the, we're looking at the series Predecide, and we were talking about the power of our decisions, because the decisions you are making are determining the direction of your life. The decisions are determining your destiny. The quality of your decisions are determining the quality of the life that you're living right now. And the problem is, at various times, either we are not good at making decisions or we just make bad decisions. So what this series was looking at, what we were exploring is how do we predecide? How do we engage with the principles and the promises of God and say, we're gonna believe this so we can walk in purpose? What does that look like for us. And we had said that instead of waiting till we're in the middle of, middle of the moment to try and navigate our, our way out of the heat of the emotion of what we're facing, instead of waiting till we're in the middle of the muddle, we are going to predecide ahead of time according to his principles and promises so that when that moment comes, we have predecided how we're going to walk in a way that represents him, reflects him, and glorifies him. We're predeciding. We're not going to just leave it so later day, we're doing that now, and we, we can go to the next slide. And we said, when we are faced with this situation, you, you've got various scenarios that are rolling. You'd know what that is for you. When faced with this situation, I have predecided in God by the power of His Holy Spirit, knowing that I have a new nature in Christ, that I'm going to take this action. And so we need to have that in our thoughts. We need to be intentional and strategic in our walk with God as we live this out. And it's going to determine who we are and who we're going to be as followers of Jesus, and few people encounter as we live this way. And so today we are looking at, and we're predeciding that how by the grace of God, we can become um, those who are able to access His blessing and release His blessing as we become more generous. And why are we looking at predeciding about generosity? Well, let me say this. It's because no one ever accidentally becomes irrationally generous. You don't just stumble in it. It doesn't just happen. You don't just suddenly start giving 10% as a principle or going beyond in generous giving and giving offerings and paying the rent for someone and buying groceries or paying for the people's um, bill that are having a meal at the table next to you or giving to missions and investing into kingdom advancement. advancement. That doesn't just happen by accident, that sort of irrational generosity. You don't just suddenly start having fun in the giving by accident, and then you can say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to and put my faith out for 20, 30, 40, 50, and see how much percentage I can give away. We don't accidentally do that. We don't accidentally just establish an inheritance for our generation and our generations to come. That doesn't happen by accident. There's got to be some purpose. There's got to be some praying. There's got to be some profound revelation. There's got to be some anchoring on promises, and then those things start to unfold. So what I'm saying is no one stumbles into irrational generosity. 
Because this is what our, our, our natural thought tends to be. When I have more, George, I, I, I hear you speaking about generosity. And so when I have more, I will give more. I, I've got a good friend who um, has been living this way. And I, I'm going to get him to share at Harvest sometime, not because of finance, but just because of the overflow of his life. He's a businessman, but he sits on many ministries boards. And, um, you know, he's been doing this. He says, George, it's so much fun when you start to see God move and what he can do. But here's the thing. I wouldn't have been able to partner with what God's going to do if years back I hadn't decided I'm going to give a certain amount and then not only give that amount, but to believe to get beyond. And he shared with me just yesterday, actually, that 15 years ago he started out, he started a business and he said, from the profit of this business, I want to sow into the local church where I am. And he started off 15 years ago giving 50,000 rand a year. He said, George, this, this year, it was 3.5 million rand. Now, that might not sound like a lot to some people, and uh, it might sound an enormous amount to others, and it's not about the amount, but what he was saying is this. If I just thought, oh, no, I'm not going to give now, I'll give when I get. He said, I would have got to 3.5 million to give and thought, no ways, it's too much. But because I pre-decided and set that principle in place for my life as a... As a um, as a buffer to actually buffer me into the more, not to hold me back, I was able to give it with ease this time. And so there's something about pre-deciding that allows us to enjoy without stressing out down the road when you get the more. So that if you like some of us who went onto the NetBank banking app and saw where Powerball was at and thought, I'm going to buy four drawers and four tables and click that extra little thing where I, I get an extra number or however it works, I, I just went on to look so I could preach the sermon. But if you like that and suddenly the money rolls in, suddenly you're not under stress because you don't know, Lord, can I do what I bartered with you to do if I win this thing? Even if it is only the 25 rand that came in, I've heard. That's what people sometimes get. Because then we think, you know, one day when I can afford it, I'll actually give more. And we need to understand this. This isn't how generous people think. It's not the way they reason. And we need to know that we are a kingdom people and generosity is one of the key values that we carry because here's the thing, generosity is not about what you have or what you don't have. It's not determined by what you have or what you don't have. Generosity is all about your heart. It's determined by how you've been defined as a son or daughter of the living God who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who is sitting on the throne from which all supply flows from. See, generosity is not based on the demands that are coming on you. Generosity is knowing your identity and partnering with the supply that flows through you. And so we need to shift some things if we want to enter into the fullness of what we call to. And we can see a chair that we've got people who are financially challenged and they can be stingy. But we be, we've got people here who are financially challenged and they are beautifully, sacrificially, irrationally generous. I mean, the lady who was the most generous in all scripture. I shared it a few weeks ago. She went and what she gave, no one would have noticed. And that was the most generous act. It's not defined by what you have or don't have. It's the heart. And you might see people with lots of money, huge amounts of money, and they can roll in and you can speak to them and chat to them, but you just know, listen, there's, there's nothing going to happen here. There's boundaries and there's perimeters and there's fending off and nothing's moving here. But then there are people with, huge finances who just say, you know what, uh, this, 
I've got what I need for my life, for my family to thrive. And with the extra, I want to honor God and I want to see kingdom advancement. And I want my legacy not to just be what my family's going to have, but what my family's going to be a part of doing and seeing take place. And you see those people and they are world changers who are allowing their passionate generosity to just flow into every area. Not based on what you have or don't have. It's based on your heart. And if we're going to discover how to be generous now, I want to say this. If you're not generous now, if you don't get this right now, you're not going to be generous later. And please, in no way am I saying this on behalf of Harvest Church as an entity. I'm saying this to you as Harvest Church, the ecclesia, the called out ones who are the church, who get to go out and be the church and do what the church does in such a way that we bring glory to the head of the church. That, that's the heart that I hope you catch as I'm sharing this. It's for you, not at you. And Jesus encounters this moment where he comes across a person who might have thought, you know, when I have more, I'll give more. But in the midst of this in instance in Luke 12, a big harvest comes in and this wealthy person got a whole lot more wealthy. And he, he wasn't thinking, you know, well, now that the wealth's come, I said, if I get it later, I'll give more. He wasn't in that place. That's not his frame of mind. He might have forgotten every prayer leading up in the process to that moment. This is, this is what happens. Let's answer the question, what did the rich man do when he had more? You know what the, the answer is? He did what he had always done. He did what he had always done. Luke 12, verse 18, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll big, build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat, notice all the mars, and all my other goods. And then I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, ma, 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 myself, you even start talking to yourself. I'll say to myself, my friend, that's an amazing place. And you can become your own friend. My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You see, if you don't predecide, you will become the greatest mentoring voice into your own life, and you'll take yourself wherever you're wanting to go because you're blind to the real and you're caught up in deceit. There's none so deceived as the deceived. And so this is where this person finds himself. He did what he has always done. Why? What's taking place here? This is what's happening. More money doesn't make you more generous. More money just makes you more of what you already are. More money is not going to change it. Generosity is not something you're going to do when the bank balance is full. Generosity is something we need to get right as we come to the Father and say, I want to look at your heart and see the expression of who I'm called to be here and what lines up and, and, what, and what rings true and what resonates. See, more money doesn't change who you are. More money reveals who you are. Now, listen, I'm not picking on anyone. I'm saying, Lord, I, I, want, to, I want who I am to be revealed. Help me in this situation. More money reveals who you are. That's great. But I'm just saying, be wise as to how you're going to walk that out. If you want to be generous when you have more, this is a great time to learn how to be generous when you seemingly have less. This is that moment. And so we're pre-deciding. We're starting to go through God's word and we say, what are the principles? What are the promises? What is the, the purpose in this and through this? And how do I move forward in it? And there's a couple principles where we might be feeling, George, I, I still, I hear you. I don't think I can be doing this. There are a couple principles that are true of all generous people. And I want us to look at just 
a few of those as we go forward. Because here's the thing. It's who we call to be. Giving is not something we do. Generous is our identity. Giving is not just something that we do. Generous is our identity. It's who we call to be. It's who we are. And so here's two qualities of who we call to be as generous people. And there's only going to be two, so it's going to be a bit quicker because I knew this time there's going to be safety belts on and crash helmets, and I just wanted it to be quick so we've got lots of time for the offering after the service. <laughs> now we've already done that. So you can be at peace. Two qualities of generous people. Number one, generous people plan to be generous. They plan to be generous. And you, you might say, and many of us do, but I thought generosity was just random acts of kindness or spontaneous, and, and it can be that as well. But you have to have predecided that that's going to flow from your life. Generous people plan to be generous. It's not just like they drive down the road and think, oh, I'm just going to give to um, every uh, person who's on the side of the, the traffic lights. It's not that they just say, you know, I'm going to walk into the store and intentionally buy someone groceries, or I'm going to pay for that car behind me in the toll road. It, uh, you get those spontaneous moments, but generous people plan for this. Uh, I spoke to another friend who was saying what he does out of his business, and he was trying and he was arguing with the accountants how he does it from a tax perspective, but he takes a certain amount of cash. I think it was three to four thousand rand a month. He takes three to four thousand rand a month and he on his way he gives everyone money. Here's the beauty. Here's when you know it's not giving, it's not generosity. The accountant said you can't do that. I said, what do you mean I am doing that? And he said, but how can you prove you're doing it? And he says, yeah, because I've got a picture of and he's got a photo and he's got the names of each of these people. Because it's not just giving, it's generously engaging with who they are. Because I know my identity, I can start to engage with you and yours. And so there's something happening there. But that, that's a plan that this individual has. It, it hasn't just been something that took place randomly. And we can think that's what um, generosity is. And most of the time, we have this idea about generosity. It's because we see the need, and so we meet the need. It's we hear a sad story, and then we want to engage with the story by those GoFundMe pages or whatever it might be. Or you see sad pictures of, a, of, of pets with a Sarah McLachlan song in the background, and all your heartstrings are played like a harp, and, and you're just pouring money out. Some of you know who that is, as I mentioned the name. Or maybe it's that you go to the fundraiser, and the person motivates, and he inspires or guilts you into spontaneously giving a certain amount that you regret as you leave the door. Here's the thing. That is giving. That isn't generosity. There's a difference. Now, giving is great. Don't get me wrong. Giving, God loves giving, giving and giving honors God. But it's not what generosity is. It's not the same thing. So you see, here's the difference as we define this. Generous people, they don't need to be guilted to give. Generous people don't have to wait for someone to get up and inspire them to give. Generous people aren't just waiting to react to a moment that happens. They don't just give when they see a need. Generous people don't just give when they have a little bit of extra in the bank. Generous people don't just give when the Spirit prompts them to give. They do in all those moments as well. But generous people have actually planned it. They're purposeful. They've predecided. And that's why Isaiah 32 verse 8 says this, so direct, so clear. It says, but generous people, what do they do? But generous people plan to do what is generous. And what? And they stand firm in their generosity. I love that. Because if you haven't planned to be generous, 
then when that moment comes, as I've said, where there's the opportunity to be generous, you might just be pushed this way and that. The voice of culture says it's about your getting, not your giving. What are you doing? You're crazy. You're losing your mind. How can you do this and engage with this? It's not the way that the world operates. You'll be seen as foolish and you'll have less. You'll be in lack. You should withhold. That's what happens. But generous people plan to be generous. And so when they're in that moment, when the voices come and culture screams and it's chaotic and tumultuous and there's a cacophony of sound, they have this steely resolve that I know who I am, who I reflect and represent. I'm not worried about the demands coming at me. I'm aware of the supply flowing through me and I'm marked by generosity and I want to mark my generation. And so they're able to stand firm in the midst of the waves, in the midst of the buffeting in their generosity, because giving is not what I do. Generous is who I am. There's a difference. And so they plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm. And uh, you might say, but George, you know what? I'm not much of a planner. And I want to say to you, you have a financial plan, whether you know it or not. We all have financial plans. And this is the thing. If you haven't defined it, culture is defining it for you. And as I said, culture is saying this. Your plan must be to consume. You get to get. You receive to consume. That's what culture is telling us all day long. You want something, you get strategic, you start to research, you start to make it happen. You might say, I don't have a financial plan. Let me tell you those shoes that I said that popped up on my financial feed when Leanne said no. I was looking, researching, planning to find every reason to make it a yes. I was like, Zando's got specials, Superbolus got specials, Take A Lot doesn't have them. I'm not looking at Take A Lot. Nike, I can get a discount on the actual website. I actually sent the pictures of the shoes to my good friend Warren that he might, as a prophetic voice, provoke Leanne to say yes. Because I've got a financial plan might not be a wise plan, it might not be the God plan, it might not have been worked out from his word, but it was working out from George's heart. And you might not have that plan to consume, but let me say that culture has a plan for you. And so you need to define these things and distinguish these things, because generous people, they don't plan to consume, they plan to give. There's a different focus in how it works out. And we need to realize that we have a new nature. We are a new creation. The old is gone. Culture no longer marks us, defines us, or has any DNA, spiritual DNA, outworking in our lives. We are a new creation, and our nature is after his nature. As he is, so are we. We have the mind of Christ. We have the life of Christ. We are anointed. That's Christian means, even as he was anointed, as anointed ones. The very same spirit who raised him from the dead is alive and at work in me. And if I'm going to be intentionally predeciding to become all that I'm called to be, which is generous by nature, then I'm going to strategically and prayerfully start to design my life around what it looks to be generous. I'm not going to hide away, fend off, put myself in a corner and say, Lord, I want all that you have, but I I, I want to live like I am. No, no. It's saying, Lord, I, I want to engage with all that you are and become all that you've called me to be. Because as, as that beautiful scripture says, that he is writing a poem on our lives because we are his masterpiece. So you better make sure the, po- the poet is the right one writing the words out on your life. And we're not scribbling our own. And so we need to engage and be strategic and prayerful and design our lives around what generosity looks like. And it's not a reaction, it's a strategy. It's a heart attitude and it's a posture that comes before the Lord and prayerfully says, Lord, 
I thank you that I can see a difference. I, I see you moving. I know that something's changed in my life. I know that uh, I came alive when I met you, but Lord, I, I want to make bigger impact. Uh, I want you to make a bigger impact in me, but also through me. I, I want to live and make a difference. I want to see what I have been entrusted with maximized and multiplied. I want to be a blessing even as I've been blessed to those that are around me. Generosity seeks to give. It's not worried about just consuming. And it is spontaneous, but it's not just spontaneous. Because here's the thing about generosity. It's not really governed by emotions. It's strategic. It's not really just random happenings. It's intentional. And as I say, maybe you're saying, but George, I haven't been a planner. Culture is planning things for us. And this is what culture would say our plan should look like if we can put those diagrams up. The first one in red, if we look there, this is culture's plan. This is what the world sets us up for in its systems and its uh, strategies and ploys to get us to do what it would like us to do. The beautiful thing is whether you're in the green, which I'd say is God's plan, or the red, which is um, culture's plan, God still supplies. God still blesses. God is still who he is. For God so loved the world that he gave before there's any response or working on our side. God continues to be who he is. But in the worldly aspect of what culture is doing in its plan, what it's saying is this. When God gives, the response is this. I'm going to take what I'm given, and I'm going to spend more. And statistically, what happens is we're spending more than we make. And so what happens then is you get into lack, and you start to find yourself being suffocated and claustrophobic in the margins. So the blessing of God that's meant to bless you and lead you into increase is actually the thing that you are governing the blessing by the world systems and you're allowing it to cause you to spend more than you make and you're causing limitations and margins to start to suffocate you like a noose around your neck because of lack. And the result is you start to worry, you start to fret, you start to get um, frantic. And then what happens is often we start to spend good money after bad and we get into the cycle. Maybe some of us are here. And in that, and he can break us through. And he can break us into more. Because we need to understand this. This is not a money problem. When we look at this, this is a spiritual problem. Because the reason we're caught up and we're going in that cycle over and over again is because we've turned our focus and starting to place our trust in things rather than putting our faith in God and his promises and who he has shown himself to be true to us. And what generous people do is they break the cycle doesn't get broken accidentally. If you're wanting to break it today, it's strategically by inviting the Holy Spirit to work in your life and through your life. And we do this by choosing to put God first. That turns that cycle on its head. It turns culture's voice on its head. Where we say, no, you know what? In the getting, I'm going to start with giving. I'm not going to be defined by getting to get. I'm going to be defined by being given to give. And I'm going to start a different cycle that's totally wrong way around, right way around, moving forward in the things of God. And so Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added to you. You see, there's a, a starting point. There's a first move that takes place to step forward into the kingdom and who we call to be. And here's the, the principle that we find in scripture. It's Malachi 3 verse 10. And it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Now that word tithe and if you look at it, it's talking about 10%, and it's this principle that this is a, a great way to start with the first to give back. It's not locked down. There's something that we can 
live under as a generous people and uh, and grace and empowered by that we want to live in generous giving but 10% is a great principle that we can look at that kind of measures our heart even as we get going and what really that's saying is the first 10% give it back to God that the first that you're given you might give and it's an act of worship that's really what it is I'm going to give it back to God it's an act of worship and and you you might have uh, felt a little bit of a, a shock when you first learned about this. Fortunately, I gave my life to the Lord at the age of three. My parents' money was my money, so it didn't bother me too much at that point. But um, as you get a little bit older, it gets a little bit closer to home. But when you discover, what do you mean? I've got to, there's, there's this principle of 10%. No, that can't be right. That, I mean, that, that sounds crazy. I mean, my income, if you take 10% off, do you know what that looks like? And you start to think, you know, in order to do that, if I'm going to really honor God and worship God with this, in order to do that, I'd have to rearrange my life and my priorities around God. That, that's what I'd have to do. I'd have to take some and make some real changes if I'm going to put God first. I'd have to strategically look at my life and arrange it, not around me getting and my wants, but around worshiping Him. I mean, that sounds crazy. How can that be? And we start to wrestle with these things. The beauty is there's grace and there's process. And there's a beauty of the Father's heart that leads us in and walks us in as he starts to say, hang on, you, you're getting caught up with looking at a number rather than looking at my nature. Tithing's a number that allows you to access his nature. So that's why in verse 10 he says, the only time we get told we can test God, he says, test me in this. He's not saying test me in this like even Etzebeth holding on that prop and saying test me in this with those crazy eyes, can't do them for you. It's not that sort of testing. The word here, when you look at it, Bashan in the Greek, I mean in the Hebrew, I mean, sorry, from the Greek, it means this. Oh no, sorry, it is Hebrew. I'm getting confused as I'm saying it. I haven't written it there. But this is what it means if, uh, if you look at the actual work. It means to examine, to scrutinize, and it means to prove. If you delve down further, it would be used this. It would be mean when you prove it, it would mean to examine gold to prove that it is gold. It would be to scrutinize a person to see what they say about themselves is true about themselves. It would mean to prove someone's heart to be what that person displays his heart to be. And he's saying, prove me to be who I am. You can test me in this one. And it continues to say and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You've got that other rich man who's trying to build his own barns and speaking to himself, my friend, do this, eat, drink, be merry. And God is saying, no, 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 test me in this, prove me in this, and see if I'm not going to open the floodgates of heaven, not just releasing produce from the land, but floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it no matter how many new barns you build. I mean, it's a beautiful promise. And some of you are saying, George, you're beginning to look like a, a prosperity preacher. Um, I want to make this clear. This is not the prosperity gospel, but this is the generosity gospel. It's the very inaugurating moment of the gospel, the good news coming to earth was for God so loved, he gave and gave his only begotten son. He didn't just give what was good, he gave what was best. We worried if, if, we, if we give, if God will be able to give, you cannot outgive God. He couldn't find anything else that was worth to give other than outgiving himself. He gave the best in Jesus to us. That's his nature when we look beyond the number 
And that we, that's what we should recognize, which moves us beyond the cycle. And so what I'm not saying is about taking hold of this principle that everyone's going to get rich. Please, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is as we start to exercise this principle and go, believe God to be who he is, he will always prove himself faithful. Might not look like direct money coming back to us. Might not be that lottery ticket you, you, you rolled the dice on. But it is going to be, and here's from Andrew Womack's commentary, it is going to be something that looks like these. These blessings that pour from heaven, open floodgates pouring out that you can't store. These blessings the Lord pours out on us are anointing, favor, ideas, gifts, ability, dreams, etc. And when we put them to use, they are productive and they start to catalyze not only from the spiritual to the physical, the things that we need to live a life that glorifies God. That's what it is. And he's saying, prove me in this. So the normal cycle looks like that. As I've mentioned, you spend more, you find yourself lacking more, you worry more, and you live paycheck to paycheck, cycle going. On the other hand, we pre-decide, we shift that thing. The uh, wrong way around is now right way up. And we are given, and the first thing we do is we give as an act of worship. He blesses that which we give, and we find ourselves being built up in faith and being readied for all that he has for us. This is what takes place in that moment. So comes back to this. Giving is something that we get to do, but generous is someone who we call to be. And so we, we decide this. We pre-decide because we're not going to give when it's convenient. We're not going to give over some leftover, but if we can put up the next slide, we give God our first and our best, and we trust him to bless the rest. We give God our first and our best, and we trust him to bless the rest. So that's the principle of that first amount, that 10%. But I love that offerings go far beyond that. Offerings are these things. And what are you passionate about? Because now we're looking at, I, I want to give. I don't want to just get. So I get to give to God. That's my worship. But what am I passionate, passionate about? Because then we can give offerings. And it can be to um, missions. And it can be to kingdom business as it's getting launched. And it can be to young men and women who are studying to be voice pieces for the king and the kingdom in the midst of culture, as I've mentioned. We can start to give these. We passion, our heart burns. And it's, we, we give to these things because we believe that by doing it, we can see God make a difference in the world. And so we're partnering. We're not just worshiping him, but we're starting to be co-laborers to see breakthrough coming wherever we might look. And so this unfolds as we start to do it. And we start to have a little bit of fun there because we can say, God, what does the opportunity of that look like here? How do we get to bless someone? How do we get to live not just accidentally, but with planned spontaneity? I, I was, uh, I've had a couple chats this week and um, I've been encouraged in this, even as I was looking at it. I had a friend who um, has moved to Australia and had a whole drum kit set up, and we were looking at buying stuff for the church. And on Friday, I'm thinking, generosity, there's going to be no amens from harvest on Sunday. This is hard work. Um, so I'm thinking this, and he phones me out of the blue, and he says, you know what? I just feel something about generosity. I want to give that drum kit. It was just a beautiful encouragement to me. Then another encouragement that I had is last week, we got to hear Kathy, and Kathy was just sharing about how she's going back to study in the U.S., and, and uh, in the midst of that, we just said, if anyone wants to sew into her, there's a couple needs. She didn't have an air ticket. She didn't have um, uh, tuition fees. There were some challenges with living and, and, and food and those sort of things, and after that service, walking out, I had a couple just come in tears and tell me, 
this couple tells me whenever we give opportunity to give, they come and thank me for saying, thank you for inviting us to be able to give. And they just said, hey, we were able to pay for a flight. And I was just so blessed. They were crying. I was crying. It was joyful crying. I cry a lot in church, so it's not too impactful that I'm crying. But they were crying. And I just, I just loved the generosity. It's, it's who we are as a house. Then I, I met another couple. I got a little bit further. I was by the samosas. I was making my way there quickly because they go fast. And, and I, was, I was in the line to get the samosas. And they were telling me, you know, we, we've just paid for that girl's tuition. Then I found out this week that they couldn't pay for a tuition. Because when they went to pay it, someone else had beat them to it. And then she went home that day and she hadn't been able to get great accommodation. So they, so they said they're going to give to her in other ways, which is beautiful, over and above what the ask was. He always does immeasurably more. And, and so she got home that day and she, she didn't have great accommodation lined up there. And so she had seen that someone wanted a little bit of pairing, but there was great accommodation. It was for free. She had put her name, as many others would do. There's like thousands of students that go there. She got home on Sunday and uh, they phoned her from the US message to her and said, we want you to move in and to do this. Beautiful. I just love seeing generosity in action. What I love more is people running to share that they get to partner in generosity. You see, it's not some, giving is something that you do, but generous is someone that you are. And it touches and it releases you in identity. It's beautiful to see that unfolding. So the second thing I want to say is this, the generous people round up. This won't be long. I've got a testimony to tell, and it's unfortunately not my testimony. My testimony is this. I went out for a meal with my wife, and we had a waiter on, and they forgot our meal, and they didn't bring it. And, and uh, I'm a zapper man, and zapper man helps people who are not the best at arithmetic like myself. And it tells you this is 10%, this is 12 and a half, this is 15. And, and I thought, you know, in this instance, I'm going to give what's due. So I gave 10%. Not because I had, but I just thought, hey, it's not deserving of more, um, just in terms of service. Heard of another pastor, convicted me, pastoring my heart in this moment, who went out, similar situation, although actually the person who was serving was actually intentionally rude and unkind to him and his wife. Yet in the midst of that, he felt the Holy Spirit prompt him to not give what was deserved or wasn't deserved, but to round up. Because generosity looks like rounding up. So in the midst of that moment, he rounded up and it wasn't anything excessive or something different. Forgot about it, moved on. Month later, that, that lady arrives at his church, and he gets to hear the story, and she, she got to hear how she was hurting, how she was angry at God, how she knew he was a pastor, knew his church, and wanted nothing to do with him, and thought, you know, I'm going to treat you like I feel you deserve to be treated. But he didn't let her behavior determine his character, because generous people round up, and they know who they are. And so in the midst of that moment, he was able to just round up and give her a gift, Proverbs 25, 22, talking about being treated unfairly. That's the context. It says this, your surprising generosity. It's not a surprise to you. You pre-planned, you pre-decided. Your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and God will reward you with favor. You know that there are things that you can do in generosity that awakens people's conscience to encountering the goodness and kindness and compassion and generosity of the Father's heart so that their affections are alive towards Him. And you receive a reward of favor for that. 
I mean, is that not reward enough? How beautiful. This lady came to church and she said, I knew how, how I treated you and how I deserved to be treated, but you are unconditionally kind and generous to me. And I knew that in my hurting, this would be a safe place to go. Life was turned around at that church. Proverbs 21 verse 26 says, all day long the lazy and the selfish crave, crave, crave. Don't let this be us. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. Does not hold back. There's a rounding up. The good Samaritan finds someone beaten, bruised on the side of the road. The rabbi passes by. The pious religious leader passes by. The Samaritan comes who racially has been disconnected from this individual on the road and probably been judged and prejudiced, but he decides, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna be generous. This is what generosity looks like. He sees value in a beaten person on the side of the road who had probably denigrated him because of who he is. In that moment, he takes, he says he takes the wine and the oil and he treats his wounds. That wine and oil was for his comfort, not this individual's. Then he takes time to raise this person and to take him to the nearby and to book him in, cares for him, takes emotional investment. Then he pays two talents to make sure that this person is taken care of. That's finance. And then he says, you know what? I'm gonna come back and see that everything is taken care of because generosity doesn't even see you somewhere, but it comes back to continue to walk with you. I mean, this is what generosity does. If we limit it to finance, we miss something. So much more, it's compassion and it's time and it's giving of your comfort to comfort others and it's emotional investment and it's financial and it's journeying. He rounded up, Zacchaeus climbs up in the tree. He's hated, seen as a cunning crook, tax collector against his own people, sees Jesus, life transforming grace is discovered at that point. He doesn't only give back, he says, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him back four times the amount. Not even going to meet it, supersede it. I'm rounding way up because generosity rounds up. And I really believe that God wants to remind us today of who we are. Not about what culture is saying and people's actions towards us, but of your nature, your identity, who you get to reflect and represent. And that we get to predecide, we get to plan to be generous. We get to go out and we get to round up. And then we get to have some fun because we get to go in environments and say, Lord, this is how much I'm committing, but I'm also making available more that in any moment, be it time, energy, compassion, care, process, journey, I wanna be available because Lord, I, if I can walk into that coffee shop or into that restaurant or into that bank or into that house or into that relationship and I can start to show generosity, there's gonna be awakening in hearts and affection that open up towards you, Father. And there's gonna be reward and there's gonna be favor and there's a new cycle in place and it's gonna roll out again and again and again and again. What will our community look like if we become an irrationally generous people in house? What does that look like? There's a quote, and it's a Chinese quote. No, that sounds wrong. I'll, let me step back. It's a Chinese proverb, not a Chinese quote, but it is a quote that I love, and it says this, a bit of fragrance always clings to the hand that gives you roses. A bit of fragrance always clings to the hand that gives you roses. Finishing with this, Apostle Paul says, because of the generosity of the Corinthian church, there had been thanksgiving that welled up in him. He, his heart warmed towards God. It's just another picture. 
when we start to let generosity be at work, it starts to work in people's heart. And not only um, are they blessed by receiving it, but they get to give thanks and God gets to get glorified. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you that even though we live in a day and an age where culture would try and catch us up in webs, as we've heard earlier, about accumulating and acquiring and getting and hoarding and whatever that might look like and operating out of fear with a lack mentality, a poverty mentality. That's what the identity of this world will try and part to us and the cycle will try to catch us in. But Father, I thank you that you come with your Father's heart. And I thank you that there's a different pattern. There's a rhythm and a grace and a pattern of what it means to walk in the kingdom with you. And Lord, I just thank you that even as we encounter your heart afresh this morning, that your father heart will set people free out of poverty mentality and instill identity of what it means to be a son and daughter of the king, a generous people. And then Lord, I pray that you would add to that an irrational generosity. Father, I thank you that this isn't about obligation or compulsion, but Lord, it is an invitation that we get to partner with the more of what you're wanting to do. I pray that you remove scales and veils and dimmed ways of seeing what you're doing. And I pray that you make us bright-eyed and able to see with clarity the glorious things you're wanting to do. I pray that you give us courage and hope to be those sort of people. Arm us and make us dangerous to release generosity in our families, in our communities, and in our cities, and our workplaces. In Jesus' name I pray, and together we say, amen. 